Going back 10 months ago, the day after the 76ers were eliminated from the playoffs, the big man did some big-time foreshadowing. I feel like next year he's definitely going to be a top of MVP season for me. With two weeks to go in the regular season and on the heels of some insane performances, we'll check in on Joel Embiid's MVP case. He's clearly the most, to borrow his own words, the most unstoppable player on the floor. To me, that has to account for something. That's NBA.com insider Sekou Smith, and he's our guest on this episode of the broadcast. What's going on out there, 76ers pod people? Hope you are doing well. But I can also understand if you're a little bit frustrated, tough outcomes for the Sixers on that road trip. The last second loss to Atlanta against Trey Young and the Hawks on Saturday, followed by a sting defeat to the Orlando Magic on Monday. Tough way for the Sixers to follow up that really inspiring, momentous win over the Boston Celtics on Wednesday. But we move on. That is what the NBA schedule demands. So many games, although they are dwindling. And you certainly hope the 76ers are able to get back on track coming up this week when they host the Brooklyn Nets and what could be a playoff preview on Thursday at the center. And the team heads out for three more on the road going to Minnesota, Dallas, and Atlanta before coming back home for a big rematch against the Bucks. So, yes, coming up on this episode of the podcast, we're going to speak with Sekou Smith. We'll talk about Joel Embiid in particular and where he stands on the Kia NBA ladder MVP race. But first, I want to remind you that to subscribe to the podcast, you can go to a couple different places, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, any one of your favorite podcast hosting platforms. Type in Sixers Podcast Network, and that will take you to our feed. We're going to bring on Sekou Smith of NBA.com and NBA TV in just a moment. But first, let's put the auditory spotlight on a guy who certainly deserves it for something he did last week off the court. The cheers were loud. The music was bumping. The applause kept coming. This is what the Shepherd Rec Center in West Philadelphia sounded like when Tobias Harris entered the room. It's certainly not uncommon for pro athletes to be showered with love. Heck, Harris and the 76ers got plenty of that the night before at the center. Harris on a drive, and it's good. He takes it right at Horford and scores the ball on cue. Harris is coming up big now for the Sixers. Butler passes inside to Harris, and a jam. Another defensive breakdown by Boston. Great feed, Butler to Harris. Harris, of course, was an integral part of an impressive fourth-quarter comeback that lifted the 76ers to an elusive, encouraging victory over the arch-rival Boston Celtics. He scored 21 points, had eight rebounds in the three-point win, which further solidified the Sixers' positioning for third place in the Eastern Conference standings. This is for sure why we play it. Uh, you hear the crowd, you hear the energy, the atmosphere. To come out here and get this win, uh, back-to-back for us, it's a great win for us. The following afternoon, there was Harris making an impact, but in a much different way, arguably even more deeper. This time around, the uniform was a double-breasted tan suit, plus a black t-shirt and gold necklace underneath. The venue was a cozy, lively gym right in the heart of Wilt Country, and the audience wasn't a raucous cauldron of 20,000-plus fans, but instead an enthusiastic, inquisitive collection of 40 or so middle school-aged girls, all eager to hear from Harris and the impressive roster of speakers he assembled for a panel called Game Changers. 
women in sports, tech, and literacy. Raise your hand if you like to read. Okay, okay, okay. March, after all, is Women's History lie. Month Wait, and National Reading Month. Harris is a huge book reader. Putting together that type of event just seemed to make sense. I'm always about using mentorship and using different outlets of showing different professions to help the youth and help uh, inspire the youth. So I, you know, came up with a plan of just having a panel of different inspiring women from different professions to be able to talk to the young girls and just give them that type of inspiration and let them know that there's different profession there's different professions out there, there's different ways, there's different struggles and to get in there and I thought today was a great combination of that where they were able to see, they were able to hear, were able to be inspired and, and you know, I was in awe up there being the only male in the room and just listening to to the panelists and listening to uh, the young girls in in the audience asking questions and um, being engaged and seeing how locked in and focused they were on learning. So it was a great uh, atmosphere and a great experience. There were two West Philadelphia natives on the panel, one who runs a startup initiative in Philadelphia and another who's a national writer and editor that appears on CNN. Sixers sideline reporter Serena Winters also participated, as did Sixers data scientist Ivana Sherich. Why did Tobias Harris decide to use his influence specifically to empower young girls? The choice was all about life's experiences. First off, I come from a family of three boys and two sisters, and um, I wouldn't be in the NBA today if it wasn't for my older sister. Like What she taught me as a young boy, just about hard work and about passion and about resilience and, and striving for whatever she wanted to achieve. I mean, she was the first person in the family to get a full scholarship. You know, it wasn't until I was 13 that I finally beat her in one-on-one, and like that was like the greatest day of my life. And um, how hard she worked and how much she put into the game of basketball inspired me because I never wanted to be the one that didn't work on the type of level she was working on. So, you know, my older sister was so influential to me. My mother was a huge influence to me of always just helping me um, and being there to support me. Most importantly, being the person that was telling me in my ear that you need a backup plan and you need to be able to level basketball and whatever else you want to do. And uh, when I got into the NBA, she was a person to really get me involved into doing a lot of things off the court. And then my younger sister, she inspired me to this day to just be better. She's in the tech world, so she tells me, don't end up going viral for the wrong reason, like things like that. So it's always, it's a good balance of having woman figures in my life um, that have helped me to get to the point where I'm at. That same uplifting, inspirational vibe permeated throughout the Shepherd Rec Center last Thursday. Panelists shared thoughts about the need for girls and young women to believe in themselves, break through the ceiling society has set on them, and the importance of education. A huge message of the whole panel was so that the young girls can understand that to break into that door and to um, find themselves in that profession, in that job field that they want to get into, education has to be first. Um, and you have to keep on empowering that, especially work in the classroom at a young age, being able to be confident in the classroom, being able to be the person to stand out in that type of environment. Um, 
We'll build le leadership qualities. So education is for sure number one. I always try to stress that to any environment that I'm in and today, I thought the panelists did a great job of expressing that to the young girls too. During the panel discussion, Harris was one part maestro, leading the conversation. In my own life, one of my favorite books is a book called Blood Brothers. It's a documentary about the friendship between Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, um, two people that He was an intent listener and observer the too. The dynamic of the crowd left an impression. You know, girls have a very good calmness to them. You know, when I, I, I've done things like this with groups of men, and, you know, like for me, I always have to figure out, okay, how do you get them to make sure they're in tune and listening and, and really, how are you catching their ear? And today, like being out there and just seeing and learning, I, I noticed like all throughout the whole thing that they had anything that any of the panelists said that kind of touched them in some type of way, they were all ears too, and the calmness and just the respect level all throughout the the whole time we had today was, you know, was at a level I was like, wow, like this was this was awesome, and this is something that more of it has to be done. Can we please give a huge round of applause for our panelists because they came out busy schedules. Thank you so much. After the hour-long Q&A session was done, Harris gave the kids a parting gift. It was a book, befitting of the occasion, and like the panel itself, was also titled Game Changers. It contained profiles on some of the greatest female athletes who have either gone unrecognized or underappreciated. Then it was time for pictures before calling it a day. There were plenty of things that stood out about Harris's panel last week. The concept alone was thought-provoking, the conversations were progressive and powerful. But in the big picture, when you step back, what our mind keeps going back to is the fact that Harris was out in the community using his platform to make a difference in such a short period of time of actually being with the 76ers. He's been with the team less than two months, not even a third of the season. Clearly, Harris has a strong sense of obligation, and in speaking with him, you could just tell his desire to affect change and do good was sincere. I hope the young girls that attended today will move along in their lives in, in, in a positive way of uh, understanding how powerful they are um, and being leaders in, in wherever they go about from here and um, just striving for anything, striving for whatever they want to achieve and whatever they put their minds towards. So I'm excited for them and um, now I'm excited that we were able to pull this off and do this and it was a lot of fun. We invite you to head on over to Sixers.com or check out our YouTube page and social channels for more coverage of Tobias Harris's Game Changers panel that took place last Thursday. Sekou Smith from NBA.com and NBA TV coming up in a second. But for a moment, wanted to bring on the executive director of social responsibility with the Philadelphia 76ers, Amy Heaver. Amy, you were at that Game Changers panel. How awesome was that? Uh, it really was amazing. This was actually the first opportunity that we um, had to join Tobias out in the local Philadelphia community. And it was just wonderful to see him take the lead and in initiative in, one, wanting to really be a part of the Philadelphia community, and two, to honor and support women and girls um, for Women's History Month. So it was great to see him basically put together a panel of female leaders in various careers and disciplines and moderate a panel that talked about their 
journey and their career path to date. I'll take some questions from a really excited and engaged group of girls from West Philadelphia area. We know Tobias and the squad, they are busy on just about a non-stop basis this time of year, but your crew as well with the Sixers Youth Foundation, there's an important deadline coming up specific to the Wilt Chamberlain Foundation scholarship on April 8th, right? There is, and we certainly try and keep pace and do whatever we can to show year-round support for all of our fans across the community. And one of the ways in which we do that is through a scholarship program that we have through Will Chamberlain's Foundation. It has an April 8 deadline for a scholarship um, for high school seniors in the local area valued at up to $20,000. This scholarship is somewhat unique. It's a last dollar scholarship. So the way in which this is designed is the scholarship helps to basically fill the financial gap that exists between a student's financial aid package and what their family can contribute. And it's also renewable, meaning that students have the opportunity to renew in their sophomore, their junior, and their senior years. All right. You go to wiltfund.org, and then there's a tab up top on the website for scholarship information. Go there, fill it out. That's right. Act quickly. We want to, of course, have as many applicants as possible. So encourage everybody to go out and visit wiltfund.org. Once again, the deadline for this year's scholarship program is April the 8th. The website is wiltfund.org, and right along the top header, there is a tab in the upper right corner for scholarship information. Click that to apply. Amy, great talking to you as always. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, let us now shift the conversation back to the hardwood where Joel Embiid has done some ridiculous stuff, obviously, over the course of this season. He's on track to become the first player to average at least 27 points, 13.5 rebounds, 3 assists, and 1.5 blocks per game since Shaquille O'Neal achieved the feat in 1999-2000 with the Lakers. The only other player in NBA history to reach those splits in a single season, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who did it three times, twice with Milwaukee and once with the Lakers back in the mid-1970s. To give us some national perspective on the type of season Joel Embiid has had and also clue us in as to where he might stand in terms of this year's Kia MVP race, we bring on the man who curates for NBA.com and NBA TV the weekly Kia MVP ladder, and that would be Sekou Smith. And a reminder, the 76ers are going to be on NBA TV this Saturday when they visit the Minnesota Timberwolves at 8 o'clock Eastern. Then again on Saturday, April 6th, when they are at the Bulls also at 8 o'clock. The Sixers also on the NBA on TNT for a big Thursday, April 4th, 8 p.m. matchup versus the Milwaukee Bucks. On that note, Sekou, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Um, trying to make it to the finish line of another regular season like everybody else and uh, recharge myself for the playoffs. Who isn't these days? It's not like we do manual <laughs> or physical labor, but there is something to it, I feel like. Once you get to the middle of March, end of March, it's like, all right, let's just get the last two weeks of April here quickly. Yeah, it's exhausting. My wife comments like regular. This is my 19th season covering the league, and she's like every year right around spring break for the kids, she's like, you get – really cranky and i was like it's because <laughs> i i'm looking at my calendar and i know that you know the school year is done in may you know she's a teacher so her her year is done and mine is just cranking up so i i'm i get cranky because i know what's to come in the next three months basically 
Well, there's definitely a bunch of stuff I want to get into with pertaining to the Philadelphia 76ers, the state of the team after a couple of blockbuster moves over the course of the last few months. But one of the things that you curate on NBA.com is the Kia MVP ladder, so I wanted to start there. I feel like this conversation would have been better timed had we done it after that Celtics game the 76ers played (laughs) last week. But regardless of that, Joel Embiid, he came into this season with MVP as a part of his aspirations, so I wanted to check your pulse on where he factors into the race. But why don't we begin with just you explaining to people out there how you evaluate on a week-by-week basis the MVP race, the criteria you look at, and what stands out most to you. Yeah, it's it's uh, the kid racing MVP ladder is, is a season-long chronicling of the chase for the league's most prestigious individual award. And that means instead of a recency bias and it being something that's just reflects what's gone on the past week, it's the culmination of an entire season's worth of work with an emphasis on what's gone on most recently. So it's, you know, some people wanted to reflect only the past three or four games a guy has played, which is not the way it works. Um, It's a combination of how well you're playing recently with, what kind of body of work you put together throughout the course of a season. So there are guys who, if they hit the ground running in training camp and build up some capital in terms of playing at an elite level, the way Giannis Antetokounmpo has this year, he's really hard to nudge out of one of those top five spots because he's been on another level for so long. Um, then there's a guy like James Harden, the the reigning kid MVP who started the season um, you know, struggling and his team struggled. And therefore he didn't have the kind of footing on the MVP ladder that he, that you would expect for an incumbent MVP. But again, it's, it's a season long, you know, registry of, you know, the, the best individual performances in the league. But by that same token, it's within the context of, what a guy's team is doing and, and whether or not his impact on his team and on the game translates to success for the greater good. Your latest Kia MVP ladder came out a couple of days ago. James Harden, don't think you can argue with him being at the top. Giannis Antetokounmpo at number two. Steph Curry, number three. Joel Embiid taking a big leap up from number eight to number four on the heels of the games against the Bucks and the Celtics and Paul George at number five after that. Your gut hunch, your sense right now, do you see much fluctuation there, the top five changing as we head into the final two weeks of the regular season? Only only if there's, you know, some really standout performances. You know, Harden and Giannis have been kind of trading big-time performances, you know, week after week. Harden's tend to be scoring-related where he goes out and scores 50 points or 60, you know, Giannis tend to be consistent with what he's done all year, which is 29 points and 16 rebounds and seven assists and four blocks all within the context of, you know, his team went at a high level. So it, I don't see much shuffling at the very top. I think those two guys have separated themselves from the pack. Now three through five is where you will see some shuffling. That's one of the reasons why you see, and B, go from eight to four. Um, when you go out and have head-to-head performances where you you look like the most dominant player on the floor against a couple of the other elite teams, 
that has some serious, you know, momentum for you if you're Joel Embiid. And by the same token, if you have subpar efforts in those sorts of matchups down the stretch of a season, it can impact where you slide on that ladder, you know, in the three to, to 10 range. So usually we, at this time of year, we've got kind of a hierarchy, you know, where the, the guys who are really going to compete and contend to win the, the award have separated themselves from the rest of the pack and, you know, with a couple of weeks left in a season. But we've also had years where it goes down to the final week, basically when, when Harden and Russell Westbrook are neck and neck, you know, trying to win it, or when Steph Curry and Harden are toe to toe down to the final week of the season, trying to win the award. It's, it's strange. We've, we've correctly picked the MVP, I believe the last five seasons. Um, but that's not a credit to us. I mean, it's not like it's a secret who does what. We we know it night after night in this league, but we we do have a pretty good track record of being right about what the voters will do um, on the MVP ladder. I'm going to get back to Embiid in a second, but in thinking about that, based on what you just said with it being a race, I'm trying to think in my mind about the other three major sports. I feel like the NBA really has put the MVP race at a level where it is charted like a head-to-head competition, especially down the stretch, and fans look at it just like they would who's going to be the number one seed or this seeding here in a collective team playoff race. It's actually pretty cool. The, the, the beauty of the MVP's, you know, significance for the MB, NBA is that unlike baseball or football, I don't, you know, I don't, include hockey when I talk about the big three, unfortunately, sorry, hockey fans. Um, but, but you, you play everybody in the NBA is what's, is what's cool about it. There's always an opportunity to see how this guy stacks up against that guy's team. Even if it's just, you know, those, those two times that you cross the conference divide and play somebody, you know, there's going to be those at least two opportunities to see, Hopefully, if everybody's healthy and everything goes right, there's going to be that opportunity to see these specific guys match up against each other or match up against each other's teams. That, to me, lends a real gravity to the MVP conversation in the NBA that isn't always there in the other sports. And, you know, in football, you know, you got an offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, then an MVP. And, you know, so the way they award their, their top honors is a bit different. Whereas in the NBA, the defensive player of the year is not as significant as the MVP of the league. It's just the way it is. There's, there's that one all encompassing award and then there are others, but the MVP sticks out as the most significant. And you can tangibly see in the NBA, bring it back to Joel Embiid, where in that game against the Milwaukee Bucks a week and a half ago, he is legit going head to head against another MVP candidate in Giannis Antetokounmpo for good stretches of that game against the Boston Celtics. He's on a switch on Kyrie Irving in the final seconds and somehow contorts his body to make a block shot that helps the Sixers win the game. I mean, I think that's something visually, too, where you can see these direct head-to-head matchups and really try to evaluate, well, you have this prime guy against this prime guy and that sort of thing. Yes, I mean, I think that's definitely a huge part of it. And the the funny thing, I've been, I've been arguing recently with some colleagues about what are we going to do with our all-NBA ballot? And by virtue of the games missed, how could you possibly put Joel Embiid above Nikola Jokic for first-team all-NBA center? And, and my podcast partner, John Schumann, and I have been arguing about that 
on and offline. Like basically we argue about it on our podcast. Then we argue about it on text and direct message or just when we're chatting throughout the course of our regular days. And my, you know, you have all these tiebreakers for, you know, in the standings for playoff, you know, for the playoff chase in something like this, you have to come up with your own subjective tiebreakers in your mind to decide why you would pick one guy over the other. It's a very subjective thing. And I often go back to the eyeball test, which sounds archaic in the world of analytics and in the age of, you know, data that we use for basically everything. Um, But if I'm watching a game and I'm watching two elite teams and Nikola Jokic takes a clear step back when the, when the Nuggets play the Warriors, where he's a really, you know, he's a great player, but he doesn't stick out on that court as the most dominant player in a given setting. Whereas Joel Embiid can go out on the court with Giannis or with, you know, with the Celtics and all the talent they bring to the table. And he's clearly the most, to, to borrow his own words, the most unstoppable player on the floor. And to me, that has to account for something. Um, just the understanding of how dominant a guy can be in that setting. If you don't use what you see with your own eyes as, as a component for that, you know, matrix, then, then you're doing a disservice to the whole point of watching these games anyway. Do you think that he was totally off base or how close to being on base was he when he said that he believes he's the most unstoppable player on the floor? I think he's right. It's, it's, the key, the key part of the phrase, though, is when he's on the floor. Um, because there's, there's nobody else his size with his skill level and his ability to, to impact the game on both ends in the league. I mean, he's bigger than Giannis. Um, so that's, you know, that's how you park. You want to pull in the parking lot and put your car in the right spot. He, he's got that one thing over everybody is that his size – gives him an advantage nobody else has. And then you add his skill set and his attitude and his confidence. And, it, you know, he becomes a nightmare to deal with for everybody. I, I do think he's the most unstoppable guy in the league individually, but it's strictly about when he's on the floor. And that's the problem for him is he's not always on the floor. Regardless of where he ultimately shakes out in the MVP conversation, what do you think Joel has accomplished or shown, demonstrated by his performance in the regular season, really just his second full regular season of NBA action? What he's done is he's justified a lot of the tremendous hype that was surrounding him when he came into the league. A friend of mine worked at the University of Kansas, so I, I asked her about Embiid and Wiggins when they were in college. You know, I was like, hey, is this, is, you know, because we didn't see enough of him at Kansas to get a full measure of just how good he would potentially be in the NBA, in my opinion. So I was curious. I said, hey, is Embiid is as talented as people say he is? Is he is, you know, and, and, and her evaluation was that he wasn't nearly as confident at Kansas as he's become in the league. I think Joel Embiid's real growth has come in the fact that as he's proven himself more and more on the court in the NBA, his confidence has soared. He recognizes how big an advantage he has when he's out there playing because it's happening in real time for him. It's not a guy who's been 
ticketed for the NBA since he was in seventh or eighth grade. It's a guy who's only seen this become his reality as he's continued to grow and mature in terms of just being a regular human being. I mean, he didn't, he didn't know this was coming. Um, so you, you've seen him grow to me in ways that, that we couldn't have predicted when he was drafted. But there were people who were talking about his footwork and his size and skill set then and saying, you know, this guy, you know, and you know the player comps that get outrageous and drive us all crazy. Um, <laughs> I cringe every time somebody says, oh, this guy's like Elijah one. You know I mean? Because I know how daunting the expectation is to live up to words like that whether the player realizes it or not. So, so yeah, I'm very cautious when I hear these things until I see them come to life on the court. And, and, and like you said, in his second full season, it's come to life. He looks like a next level all time, great talent. Now it's a matter of, will his body hold up for him to fulfill that sort of potential? TBD. Why don't we put um, MVP under the TBD category? What about, DPOI, Defensive Player of the Year. What type of chance do you think Joel has at that? I think he's got a good chance. I think Rudy Gobert obviously, you know, comes to mind in a season where we haven't had a great individual season by a perimeter defender. We haven't had a Draymond Green or Kawhi Leonard stick out to us this year in their role as Defensive Player of the Year. Another guy, Drew Holiday, who I thought, based on the momentum he had last year, would have a really good opportunity to compete and contend for defensive player of the year might be in that conversation. I'm not sure that's the case for him either. Um, I think it comes down to a recognition of, you know, impact defenders that are big men who are rim protectors and uh, space eaters and, and Gobert and, and Joel Embiid to me are those first two names on the list. It's interesting when you were talking about Joel Embiid and his potential path to greatness and a matter of him being able to stay on the floor and be healthy. Couldn't be in more agreement with you there. I also started thinking about, well, what are the 76ers putting around him? And certainly over the course of this season, Elton Baron has pulled the trigger on two big-time deals, first Jimmy Butler, then Tobias Harris, added a couple more veterans right around the trade deadline. What do you make of the state of the 76ers roster as currently composed right now, and how well positioned do you think the team is to make a run in the postseason this year? I, I love the work that Elton Brand has done, um, and I know it's not just him. It's the front office staff. You know, he, He's kind of the, the face of it, but there are some other hardworking guys I know who have done a really nice job accelerating um, – what's going on there. Um, the, I, you know, we, I know everybody loves to talk about the process, and, but the flexibility you have to have in that situation to know when to say, you know what, we've got this long-term plan, but if we've got an opportunity to, to kickstart it in different ways, we do it. And that takes a commitment, uh, you know, on, on the part of everybody, but specifically the people in the front office in charge, uh, of the one thing that I think is the most underrated part of the championship component in NBA right now, which is understanding and the, the rest of the league, how it fits together and what kind of pro personnel work you can do in terms of adding existing players from other teams to your mix to improve your overall team chemistry and, and overall production. Um, I always point to the Warriors acquisition of Andre Iguodala, which 
I will admit, I panned at the time. I said, what in the world does Andre Iguodala do for the Warriors in the state that they're in right now, trying to, you know, grow their young talent and become a better team? And then I watched, I watched Andre Iguodala in the finals, the year he won the finals MVP, and I thought, man, what a master stroke that was to get him when they did and then he evolves into this monster sixth man who you bring off the bench and wins finals MVP. I mean, what a that's not that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by by someone having a vision of what he could have been to that group in in whatever capacity, whether he was a starter coming off the bench, uh, you know, whatever whatever it was. And there, there's a vision you have to have as an organization about your team and about the group of players you're putting together and whether or not they fit. I, I think fit has become the one part about chasing championships. It's not just about piling up talent. You can pile up a ton of talent. If the Warriors had piled up all that talent and it didn't fit together, they wouldn't be on the run they're on right now. They they got lucky, but they were it, you know in a position in prime to take advantage of all the things that came their way because they had a really sound plan in terms of how they wanted to build and who and what they wanted to build around. And and I think that's a lesson that the Sixers have taken to heart and are using in their continuing evolution of their team and several other franchises, Milwaukee and others, have done the same. I'll leave you with this, not to peg you down. It's really intriguing when you look at some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference race right now, whether it's Milwaukee and the string of injuries the Bucks are experiencing, the Raptors, at the time we're recording this, they've dropped three out of the last five, I think. 76ers, tough road trip in Atlanta and Orlando. Uh, the Boston Celtics, they've been so up and down. The Indiana Pacers, of course, have their own injury issues. How are you handicapping this thing? Well, for starters, I think we're all creatures of the calendar in the NBA. And that goes for you and me and, that go- and the players and the fans and everybody else. It's tough. It's tough to sustain that highest level of play and production when you look at the calendar and you know it's mid to late March and you know what happens on April 13th and you've got to preserve the right mental, emotional, and physical energy to grind your way into what you know is a, a second season that is completely independent once that ball tips for the playoffs of the of the past however many months you spent trying to get there. And I think teams, no matter what you do and over the course of time, we're susceptible to the human frailties of knowing the calendar and knowing that, you know, Orlando knows that they're fighting to get in, whereas a team that's already in the playoff mix has a natural letdown about them some nights when, when they understand that, hey, this isn't a live – this isn't a make-or-break game. This isn't a do-or-die game. We're in the playoffs. Now, that said, there are other foundational flaws that I see in some of those teams we talk about. Um, Boston has, to me, a foundational flaw in their mix right now where they're assuming they're going to be able to flip a switch come playoff time that I don't know will be there. Um, Milwaukee is dealing with the fact that they haven't been in this position as a group at the top of the standings, dealing with everybody's best punch you know, down down in those final two and three weeks of a season. So there's all these different variables working for different teams for very different reasons against like minded opponents. Are you playing a are you playing a lottery team that, that's trying to finish the season strong and looking to knock you off just so they can say, Hey, 
don't forget that we got an opportunity to, you know, to if we don't have a chance to win anything or make the playoffs, we do have an opportunity to to make a mark, you know. And I think you have to factor all those things in down the course of a season, um, the stretch run of a season, when you're watching scores and comparing performances of teams that that we expect to be in a position come playoff semifinals to to be uh, a player and a team that could potentially make the conference finals and, and contend for a championship. I don't know. All these teams might be like Sekou Smith battling in case of the late March, early April crankies. <laughs> you know, it's all about the calendar. Great stuff from Sekou Smith, NBA.com insider. You can catch him on the website, see him on NBA TV. Sekou, thanks so much. Good. Thank you. Appreciate it. You really can't blame Sekou, can you, for having the late March, early April crankies just really want that playoff time of year to be here. Big thanks to Sekou Smith for taking the time out of a busy schedule to chat, and a reminder that the 76ers will be on NBA TV Saturday, March 30th. That's this Saturday, 8 o'clock, versus the T-Wolves. Then again, a week later against the Chicago Bulls, also at 8 o'clock, and the Sixers in between that with a big primetime 8 o'clock Thursday, April 4th game on TNT at home at the center versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate Amy Heaver stopping by the podcast to talk about the Wilt Fund for a moment. We'll talk to you next week right here on the broadcast.